everybody, and welcome to this special edition of the Visit the Zoo podcast. And it's special because of our normal release date, which is on a Monday. This year falls on Christmas Eve. That's right now, December the 24th. So this will be a specially constructed episode, a little simplified and a little more straightforward. That's because I'm going to continue today with the chapter rollout from my novel, Noah, an Animal Adventure Fantasy keep it on schedule and to do that i have to trim the front end of the podcast so it doesn't run over too long for you so i will just play this audio clip in this episode of chapter number seven of noah an animal adventure fantasy and by the way you can find a link for this book either in print or kindle or audiobook at our main podcast website at zooanimals.info that's zoo animals.info and animals is plural by the way zooanimals.info but before i play that clip i do want to wish you tonight on christmas eve a very merry christmas from all of us at the visit the zoo family and have a happy wonderful prosperous and most important a healthy new year chapter seven Manny, I know the Grand Canyon when I see it. I've been here enough times with my family. Manny and Noah stood on an outcropping off a broken trail not far from the edge of the North Rim. There were no humans or human habitation in sight. I understand, Noah, but we are very far from any population. We are in a part of the canyon that rarely is visited by anyone. Just the animals live here. Noah looked down and over into the canyon abyss. He was happy to be back, or so he thought, in familiar territory. Noah said, I'm home, aren't I, Manny? You brought me home. Manny moved closer to Noah. Remember what I said to you earlier, Noah? A different time? in a different space. But I am here. I am so close. If I just walk for a few days, I will be home. No, you won't. Believe me, you won't be home. You will come to a wall beyond this bubble where you cannot proceed. We must find your green path back to where you left it. But I... Noah stammered and tried to maintain composure. He knew he needed Manny, but he thought... He was so close to home. Manny said, Let's continue our search. I brought you here because I wanted you to see something. I wanted you to see an animal that was on the brink. It was at the edge of extinction, but you humans, you humans have saved it. Above, they heard a whooshing sound of air through wings. Then... They saw beautiful wings extended out and reaching on either side of an aerodynamically perfect body. As the large bird flew closer, Noah noticed the the head, the face, and the beak of an animal designed perfectly for flight. Noah said, Look, Manny, have you ever seen such a crooked neck and an ugly face? I know this bird. I really do. We studied this bird in our biology section, I think. The bird then flew into a crevice 
and on the canyon wall, not more than 25 feet away from where they were standing. It's a California condor, Noah. Yeah, a condor. Manny and Noah watched as three small baby condors stuck their heads up from deep inside a fairly ragged nest. The large female condor was carrying some type of raw meat in her beak. She dangled the meat in front of the babies as they pecked and tore off pieces for their breakfast. There are about four or five hundred now alive, thanks to a lot of hard work to bring them back. They were down years ago to only about 25 or 20 remaining. I just don't understand why they were so ugly, Noah said. With that bald head and all, I wonder why that bald head with no fur or feathers. I don't get it, Manny said. Are you sure you want to know? I do know they like to eat dead animals and fish and such, Noah said. I know they are scavengers. Then you know that the bald, featherless head allows the sun to disinfect and kill off any harmful uh, germs from the dead creatures they scavenge. But they are so ugly, Manny. But when they fly, they are so beautiful. With that 10-foot wingspan, they fly almost 55 miles per hour and up to 15,000 feet in altitude. Noah became quiet. He then turned his attention back to the canyon. As many times as I've been here with my family, we never saw them. We saw red-tailed hawks. We saw a lot of crows. We saw a lot of squirrels. We always had fun coming to the Grand Canyon, the whole family. Manny turned away from the condors. Come on, let's go up the trail and over the rim. While we are here in the North American continent, I want to show you a couple more of my friends. They both found a route that wound around and through scrub brush and rock piles as the last few steps became steeper. Manny, we have to find some water. Can we find our way to the Grand Canyon Village to one of the hotels and get some water? Maybe some food, too? Manny did not answer. He could have easily scampered up the last steps to the top, but he stayed with Noah. And as they crested the top of the rim, the scene before them quickly changed. Noah was bent down to his knees, trying to catch his breath in the higher altitude of the north rim of the Grand Canyon. He finally was strong enough to stand up straight. Manny, what do you think? Can we... He looked around at the endless grasslands and rolling hills. The land was treeless. Scattered brush could be seen, but other than that, the land was almost featureless. Noah shook his head in exasperation. You gotta be kidding. Now what? Manny stood nearby. We are in the grasslands of South Dakota. We are in the upper Midwest of the United States. But we are nowhere near the Grand Canyon Village. Manny said, we are more than a thousand miles from the Grand Canyon Village now. Noah said, I've been here before and I can see why. There's nothing here but endless small hills and some type of grass. It looks like hay or something. I don't see a creature anywhere. Oh, they're here, Noah. 
but where can we get a drink of water? I'll take you to water. It's actually not far away. But I want you to see these adorable little rodents. Rodents? Like mice or rats? Same family as rodents. Look straight ahead. Noah scanned the horizon. He could see small mounds of dirt scattered in every direction. He began to hear chirping, yips, and high-pitched barks. A small head popped out from one of the mounds, then another, and another. Suddenly, hundreds of little creatures emerged, no longer frightened by the real or imagined sound that sent them scurrying for cover. The black-tailed prairie dog, Manny said. They look like fat squirrels, Manny. They look like you. Manny looked at Noah. Come on, Noah, I'm not that fat, am I? Noah shrugged his shoulders. No, but maybe a little bulging around the stomach. These guys don't look like they've missed a meal. What do they eat way out here in the middle of nowhere? Some of what you've seen around us on their diet, along with plant roots, an occasional insect when they can get them. Noah stepped forward to get a closer look. They were only about 100 feet away now. The prairie dogs immediately heard the footsteps. Manny thought for a moment to warn them not to move, but he decided to see how the encounter would play out. The prairie dog colony immediately stopped their frenetic movement and turned toward Noah. Several of the prairie dogs in the command structure began to yelp warnings. And then on cue, the group of several hundred of the prairie dogs dashed madly for opening to their underground kingdom of nests and chambers. They dove for cover in their underground caverns and completely disappeared. Manny was quite amused and began to laugh. Noah was stunned. Well, where did they go? I think they're afraid of the big giant headed their way. Well, aren't you one of them, Manny? Tell them to stop and chat. Manny moved several steps closer to Noah. They really don't want to talk to me or you or anyone when they are disturbed. I just want to be friendly, that's all. I know, but they don't understand that. When the Lewis and Clark expedition came through here in 1804, they wanted to capture a prairie dog and send it back to President Thomas Jefferson. They had a heck of a time trying to capture even one of them so they could send it back to Washington, D.C. They tried everything from smoke to water. They finally did capture one and sent it back. No one at the time had ever seen one of these cute creatures. So they were a big hit back then. Noah said, can you imagine if back then they saw you, they would get a kick out of that. Manny replied, we were very far away from this continent then. Manny looked away and in the opposite direction from the prairie dog city. He said, let's move this way. Noah, there is a stream nearby, if I recall. Let's get some water and then press on. They walked on. As they walked, no more than 100 feet, Manny's promised small stream popped into view. Small trees and vegetation 
clung to each shore of the stream that was about five feet wide. The stream stretched in either direction for a distance until it disappeared in the tall prairie grass. Noah ran to the shore and immediately began drinking. Manny had to admonish him. Slow down, Noah. Noah raised his head. Okay, but I'm really thirsty. Finally, after getting his fill, he sat down and rolled over on his back. The exhaustion of his adventure, so far, drained the young man. He was young and strong, but he still was tired from the places he had seen and the animals he and Manny had encountered so far. Through heavy eyes, he looked at the white puffy clouds above his head. The air was cool and the sun was warm. Noah felt completely relaxed. He stared at the slowly changing cloud formations. Noah immediately tried to imagine the animal shapes he could distinguish in the clouds. He even tried to imagine the people he knew and loved. His eyes became heavier. Slowly but surely, he began to fall asleep. After drinking a few sips of water, Manny saw that Noah had fallen asleep. He took several quiet steps toward Noah and sat next to him. He looked upon Noah's peaceful face as the young boy began slow rhythmic breathing. Manny smiled to himself as he looked upon his new human friend, Noah. Manny then began to scan the sky, the horizon, and the land both near and far. He would sit with Noah and protect him and watch out for him as the young man slept. That is what friends sometimes do. They show concern for the welfare of those good friends. Manny would stay with him as the clouds would dance and change and as the sun would slowly pop in and out of view. He would watch over his friend for some time as his friend slept. Manny did not know exactly how long Noah had been asleep before he began to stir. Time for Manny had no meaning. Noah stretched, yawned, and then slowly opened his eyes. How long, how long was I asleep? Manny said, not long. Noah yawned again with a bit more energy and then sat up on his elbows. He said, wow, I don't know how that happened. I must have been really tired. Where to now, Manny? Are we moving down the road or farther away? Oh, not that far away, but it will certainly look different, and it did. As Noah struggled to his feet and stood straight, the scene for both of them changed dramatically. They were deep in a coastal mountain forest. Sunlight was muted by the tall canopy of trees surrounding them. The sounds of the forest birds echoed off tree trunks, and foliage rustled in the wind in thick stands of trees, both near and far. Noah stepped closer to his small friend. Manny looked up at Noah and said, British Columbia, Canada, not far from the coast. That was going to be your first question, correct? Correct, Noah answered. 
The scene around them was peaceful until Noah began to hear a series of deep woofs, snorts, and panic sounds nearby. What's that? he asked. Manny pointed straight ahead and down near a fallen tree trunk about twenty-five feet ahead. There, do you see him sleeping? No, yes. Oh no, it's a bear, Noah whispered. Yep, a North American black bear, all five hundred pounds of them. He's a big one. Noah panicked. Then what are we doing so close? We're going to introduce ourselves and have a chat. The black bear was napping. The sounds of conversation woke him abruptly. His eyes were now open and focused on Noah and Manny. He stirred a bit more, then rose up on four feet. Then, for a better view, he rose up even higher on two feet. Noah backed up Manny and stood his ground. The bear was towering over both of them. Good morning, Bernard Bear. Manny Meerkat here with a guest. Bernard snorted and vigorously sniffed the air. He spoke in a deep voice that seemed to fill the forest. Manny, is that you? You have a human with you. I see him. Should I eat him? No, Bernard, we're just here in the neighborhood, and we wanted to say hello. Hello. Should I eat the human now? No, Bernard, his name is Noah. Should I eat Noah? No, Bernard, there are many blueberry trees nearby. Eat them instead. Good idea. I will eat the blueberries. Then I will eat human. No, Bernard, we are your friends. I have eaten friends before. Friends taste good. I just woke up from hibernation. I am hungry. When black bears like me wake from hibernation, they eat, eat, eat. I think I will eat human after I eat blueberries. No, Bernard. Manny looked over to Noah and whispered, That's the thing about black bears. They speak in short declarative sentences and don't have much on their minds except for eating, sleeping, defecating, urinating, mating, and more eating. Bernard, how was your hibernation this year? I don't know. I was sleeping. When I sleep, I do not know about things and remember nothing during the process. It is boring, but I must do it. So there. Manny took in and let out a deep breath in exasperation. It is time for me to eat human now. No, Bernard, it is time for you to eat blueberries. Noah made another step back. Manny grabbed his arm, motioning for him to stand still and not to move. Noah could not take his eyes off the gigantic mammoth bear in front of him. He studied his five-inch claws. He knew that with one swipe of those claws, it would be lights out for Noah. Bernard looked away and then said, I will eat blueberries now and maybe eat human later. Okay, Bernard, go eat the blueberries. We will see you later. And with that, Bernard Bear turned and walked away into the thick forest, snorting and huffing and puffing all the way. When he was finally gone, 
nothing could be heard of Bernard. Manny pulled Noah in the opposite direction. I suggest we not be here when he returns. Good idea. I don't think I will ever consider blueberries in the same way when I see them in the grocery store again. How so, Noah? Blueberries saved my life today. Which way, Manny? A few more steps. I have something very beautiful I want you to witness from a very small creature. They took only one step, and Noah and Manny found themselves in yet another forest. This time, it was a tropical forest. The sights, smells, and sounds of the forest were completely different from the eastern Canada forest. Noah could feel the humidity in the air. The air was heavy and sweet. Noah looked around the claustrophobic forest studded with tropical plants. Now where are we? Follow me to those trees over there. It's only where we are, but when we are. It is winter up north now, and we are in Mexico. Michoacan, Mexico, to be exact. In a preserve just outside of Michoacan. And this tree in front of you? It's moving, Noah said. What's covering all the branches? What's the movement on that entire tree? Manny said, this is an Oyamel tree, and it is hosting an entire colony of thousands upon thousands of monarch butterflies. This Noah really liked. He was an insect fanatic. He loved them all, from wasps to moths, to centipedes, but especially butterflies. He couldn't bear to have the dead ones pinned inside of a display box. He enjoyed them in his books and photographs. When his friends idolized baseball or rock stars, Noah liked the butterflies. Noah liked the insect world. The variety, the beauty, and color interested him to almost distraction. His mother had quite a time convincing him not to keep tarantulas in his room or even out in the garage. So he admired the universe of insects from afar. But now he was at a place he always wanted to visit, their wintering home of the monarch butterfly. Not all of the black-body, golden-with-black-striped-winged beauties were on the nearby tree. Many of them fluttered over and around the tropical forest in a mass cloud. He could hear the combined symphony of thousands of butterfly wings beating against the heavy air. Noah held out his arms straight from his body, inviting the butterflies to land and rest for a moment. They did. His arms were covered with monarchs. They flew on top of his head, on his shoe tops, and even on his nose. Noah was thrilled, smiling ear to ear. Manny, I've never seen so many monarchs in one place and at one time. How did you know? Manny also had a few butterflies land on his body as well. I thought you would appreciate this visit. They are vacation packages that humans can take just to see this spectacle each winter. But where are the rest of the people? We are too deep into the forest for any traffic here. The butterflies also concentrate in here. They know they will not be bothered. They are comfortable 
and not agitated in their world here. Did you know, Manny, that these are not the same butterflies that left from the north last summer? Tell me. Manny wanted to hear the excitement in Noah's voice. It made Manny happy to hear that joy and excitement coming from Noah. This is like the third or fourth generation on their migration to their wintering grounds. The experts aren't so expert as to how they do it, how they know where this place is. But these monarchs know where to fly to for the winter and from generation to generation. They just know. They only live a few weeks, so something is transferred from one generation to the next. Or maybe the earth talks to them, and nature implants sensors inside of them so they know what direction they have to fly. Noah gently waved his arms, and the butterflies took off en masse, filling the sky again with black and gold and the sounds of thousands of wings beating the air. Noah whispered, so very, very cool. <laughs>